This is the Trailer Trash All-Stars Podcast. Welcome, welcome, welcome Trailer Trash All-Stars Podcast. Your hosts, Crazy Tim Crater and Eric Scallon. How you doing, Tim? I'm good, man. I feel wonderful today. Uh, we just got off the mat. We had a ton of guys come to the headquarters today. Some of your students, some tough wrestling kids, man. Adam Sellers. Yeah, Ab- Abram, yeah. Abram Sellers. I, I, he's, I have one of these students that come twice a day. Every, yeah. I'm about to put them on the family plan. But uh, no, a good wrestling background, committed, dedicated. I think he makes pizza yeah. for, for a living and does yeah. jiu-jitsu. So we he's got so, a bright future. We have four schools in Lafayette, so me and, like, we don't always get to get together with all the instructors and train hard. So we're going to start doing it on Friday. That way we don't really got to cater to students and stuff. We can just, uh, you know, hammer it out and get working. And, man, we were grinding today. It was awesome. I think I did 12 five-minute rounds, and I feel wonderful, and I'm drinking some coconut water. Hey, before we get started, I just want to talk a little bit about one of my sponsors, the On It Invitational. Um, On It is going to be holding a grappling tournament in Austin, Texas on June 24th is weigh-ins. June 25th is the actual grappling tournament. Weigh-ins are from 4 to 9 p.m. in Austin. And me, Travis Took... And Jorge, uh, Jose Portillo are going to be doing free seminars. They're going to be giving away free Hemp Force Protein. Uh, on it hooks me up. Go to onnit.com. Hook yourself up. I prefer Alpha Brain. Me and Josh take it so we can work 15 hours a day. And uh, I like the greens and I like Hemp Force Protein. Shroom Tech. Shroom Tech. Yeah, he likes that stuff too. It has cordyceps mushrooms. Uh, you're in the way of the feed, Josh. Oh. Um, but on it, on onnit.com, thanks for the support, Andrew Craig, and thank you, uh, guys, for allowing me to come to a seminar out there. I look forward to it. Please come join us June 24th, 4 to 9 p.m. or weigh-ins and our seminars, and then the tournament's the 25th. It's sub-only, no time limit. Let's get started. We're going to do a... Today, we really want to talk about UFC 199, but before that... Let's get started doing the recap on the UFC fight night that just happened in Las Vegas, Nevada. It was last Sunday. You know, listen, there were some decent undercard fights, but boy, I want to talk about one that was a, you know, a surprise, a shocker. Um, Brian Caraway came to do business last Sunday night and upset. You know, the perennial 135-pound superstar, Aljamain Sterling, by unanimous decision. And let me tell you something. He put a beat down on Aljamain Sterling. They call him Ajo. Uh, you know, Aljamain Sterling trains out of uh, Matt Serra's gym, Ray Longo, Matt Serra, Weidman, all those guys. And he's got a great rest- grappling pedigree. He really does. He, he submitted American, a lot American, of guys. Right? Yeah, great wrestling pedigree. And Brian Caraway comes from a wrestling background, but he doesn't have necessarily the greatest uh, pedigree. And I don't mean that in a bad way, but before he came to MMA, he really didn't have like this great uh, 
wrestling pedigree. What re- what he really did have though is a hard work ethic. And he might have lost the first round against Sterling, but um man, rounds 2 and 3, he took Aljamain Sterling down and dominated him. Took his back, almost choked him multiple times. Uh it, it was unbelievable, man. Uh Caraway made me a believer Sunday night. You know, I think if for you guys that don't know, uh Caraway is Misha Tate's boyfriend. They've been together. He's the one that got her into MMA. Excellent fighter. I think he submitted 15 people with rear naked choke. Excellent grappler, hard grinder, and dude, he was a super underdog. And if you guys don't remember, very recently, Aljamain Sterling kind of went at odds with the UFC and told him that he was going to shop around. He wasn't going to sign his contract. He was going to go shop around at Bellator and stuff. He was 4-0 in the UFC, and the UFC kind of bent. You know, they bended, and they gave him what he wanted. And this is his first fight back, and he got dusted off by Brian Caraway. So, uh, you know, man, sometimes when you play hardball with the UFC and it doesn't go your way, things go bad. We're on the other side of the coin. Brian Caraway has been struggling for years, making no money. I think I see some bright stars. I saw today one of my old friends, Robert Follis. He is my friend, but I also hate his guts. He cornered three guys who've beat me in my career, Chael Sonnen, Nate Quarry, and Ed Herman. So I really want to punch Robert Follis Robert in the soul. But... He's an amazing coach, amazing. I have so much respect for him. I'm just teasing, obviously, but he's got my number, how to beat me. If you want to beat Tim Crater, go train with Robert Follis. Um, But he's Caraway's coach, and he said he's the most dedicated guy he's ever seen. And it showed. Amazing performance, man. Un- unbelievable. That, um, that's what it takes a lot of time. You know, it takes a lot of time in this sport sometimes to get your rhythm in and get where you want to be, and you know, to get where you want to be. People think just because you signed that UFC contract, you're going to go out there and start jumping on people and throwing spinning head kicks and choke. You know what I mean? Like, get, you know, getting after it that quick. And, um, you know, it, t- it takes a while to find your rhythm. A lot of those new guys come into the UFC. You see it from them. And, uh, you know, you see these guys three or four years later. And, man, they're, they're freaking awesome. Yeah. yeah. And they had guys that been in the UFC, you know, look, not in the top ten. 16, 18 fights. You know, guys like a, yeah. like, a, like like Chris Camozzi, you know, in the UFC, out the UFC. There's a lot of guys that where UFC, they cut them, they come back, and they're, they're right there. Then the next thing you know, bam, they make a run for the well, title. Also, they, let, let's say Caraway's two or three fights in the UFC, and he was injured for two, uh, you know, for sure. the first couple of them, not 100%. Well, let's be honest, guys. I mean, did, I mean, Robbie Lawler did that. Yeah. his whole That's yeah, his that, whole that career, you, you know. What about, you know, Lawler example. did the same thing. Uh there's plenty of guys Saint out Pierre. there. St. Pierre. Yeah, Saint Pierre. You know, you, you get knocked off for a while. This this isn't a sport like boxing where you can pull. Junior Dos Santos. Well, right? you can't pull a, a, a Mayweather. You know, it, a Rocky Marciano. You can't. It, this sport is four-ounce gloves. There's no standing eight count. You can't take abuse and be tough and come back in the later rounds. If you get hit hard and you get your bell rung, fight's over. You know, there's no there's no take backs, there's no standing eight counts, you can't come back for it. And so it takes guys a little time to get used to that. The next fight, uh man, so impressive. This guy's very impressive. Shane Campbell out of Tashida Dojo up in Canada. He fought Eric Koch, who's coming off a two-year layoff. Two-year layoff. Injuries. To get ACL surgery, major injuries. But I'm telling you, the thing that I noticed right when the fight start, right when the fight started, Eric Koch's physicality completely different. You know, when he fought Dustin Poirier, and even when he's fighting the WC, he was a kind of a young man. You know, like a little bit. 
his arms and stuff kind of looked like gummy worms. They didn't look like like a man. You know, he didn't have that man athlete body yet. And dude, this fight, he looked shredded, like grown ass man, athlete, serious mental focus. And just strong and very, very conditioned. Um, when he finally, you know, for those of you that don't know, Shane Campbell from Tashida Dojo is a K1 level kickboxer, has 40 or 50 professional Muay Thai fights. And Eric Koch's also a great kickboxer. Kickboxed with him for about a minute, took him down, dominated him, and finished him on the back. Uh, round one. It was an incredible display of jujitsu. By a guy known to be a great striker. So hats off. Eric Koch, um, back on track after two years. That takes a lot of hard work. That's not easy to do. Eric, you know what yeah. that's like. Yeah, uh, he was kind of on the, on the downslide too as well. I think he had that loss to Dustin. Yep. And was it, I think he got knocked out by a Crookshank? Yeah. Maybe. Crook, Darren Crookshank. Nasty head kick knockout. Head kick knockout. Yep. But hey, he's back. Huh? Good for him. Uh, there were some other fights. You know, I, I'm going to pass over them because I, I really, you know, Abel Trujillo and Rinaldi kind of uh, just kind of threw hammers for a while. Uh, I believe Trujillo came away with the decision. Um, Man and I, that was a kind of snooze. I wasn't, I wasn't very, very impressed. Yeah, you know what happened with that fight, though? Uh, Sarah McMahon and Jessica I it was just obvious that Jessica I had trained with Sarah McMahon before and when we say train with somebody what we really mean is they grappled together and did some light sparring so whenever you have somebody who's an Olympic caliber wrestler and you go up there and train with them a little bit the majority of the training as we all know is going to be grappling it's not going to be you know, throwing, leather throwing hammers. So sometimes the strikers get the bad end of the deal on those little training scenarios because they can't go full bore. There's not four ounce gloves. If you start hammer blasting people who you just met, you know, it doesn't go well for the relationship. So the majority of the time when you go train at somebody's camp, there's a lot of grappling work and a lot of wrestling work because yeah. nobody gets hurt and it's great for conditioning. But what we know is Sarah McMahon probably got the better of all of those exchanges right in the training hall yeah she was grabbing her and throwing her around and unfortunately for jessica i it was obvious that those training cycles got into her head because she didn't fight like she normally fights like she usually fights like somebody stole her lexus at the ghetto and she's going 100 percent hate crime trying to beat somebody up. That's how she normally fights. And in this fight, she was gun-shy. Well, also, when you know you're going to get dumped on your back every time you throw a kick or a punch. Well, the, but see, the thing is, she doesn't know. She doesn't know because it's a fight. It's not a grappling match, and she doesn't know that, but she fought like that. Yeah, that's what I mean. Yeah, yeah. Got yeah, her beat. Yeah. I mean, if you can, you can get in somebody's head before the fight and have that advantage. Yeah, she did. It was unfortunate because I think Jessica I could go a lot further than uh, Sarah McMahon. I think she will go a lot further. This fight definitely set her back, but I think she's better than what she showed. Um, Paul Felder, Josh Berkman. That was a fun. That was a very fun fight, man. Man, did you hear Felder left Cowboy Cerrone's camp, moved out to Jersey, and he's training with uh, Frankie Edgar's coach and those guys now. Why did he leave? He said he felt like he was good enough at Muay Thai. And that was the majority of all they did. And he needed to improve on 
the technical aspects of fighting. He needed to improve his grappling and his jujitsu. And don't get me wrong, Donald Cerrone's an amazing practitioner. Yeah. But he's not a coach. Yeah. And he needs to find a coach that's going to, you know, focus on his weak spots. And, and put him first. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. If not, you're always going to be kind of living under Cerrone's shadow, Cerrone's training partner. And yeah, I guess he had to go out and do his own thing. But, man, in this fight, man, his movement, his ability to switch stance back and forth and feint. I think uh, Berkman actually won the first round. Berkman was kind of, you know, being cautious and, man, trying to throw that big counter punch. It's just not a way to win fights in the UFC. No, you know? and, I, and he won the first, I think he may have won the first round, but then the Felder was just so busy towards the end, you know, it just, um, yeah, yeah, Berkman was getting beat up for sure. Definitely a very fun fight. They were both getting hit. Definitely both of them lost some brain cells. Say what's up That's to a couple of our friends. Jeff Bauer, what's up, buddy? Tell Christy I said hi. I hope you guys are doing well. Um, Glenn Foley, that's Dustin Poirier's uncle, representing. <laughs> We're doing it this weekend. We'll talk about that in a minute. Jason Babbin, Trailer Trash All-Stars. Yeah, I think Jason I, looked like a champ at the tournament. A champ at the tournament. Real against the blue belt. Hey, Paul Felder was just busier. Yeah. He was fighting like a professional, and Josh Berkman, you know, I don't think was fighting like he a was professional. Fighting, fighting not to lose. He was fighting not to lose, and that's how you lose, you know, unfortunately. I think Felder's got a shining career. I think it's better for him that he is with uh, Frankie Edgar's camp. But the next fight I want to talk about wait, wait, was... Wait, real quick, with Felder, who do you want to see Felder fight next? Who would 170? You, yeah, 170. Who, who's a fun matchup for Felder? Exciting kickboxer. I got one. I got one. Is that... Matt Brown. Nope. Oh, anybody fighting Brown's fun. Larkin. Oh, oh, oh Larkin wow. Felder. Oh. Hey, listen. Wow. Fight of the night, in my opinion, and what do I know? Lorenz Larkin. And listen, I know this kid. He trains uh, at Millennia Jiu-Jitsu, where I started my MMA career. Romeo Ram, Batiste Mansori, Javier Vasquez out in Rancho Cucamonga. All those guys got their black belt from my instructor. We've been training together through kids. Lorenz Larkin used to fight at heavyweight. Yeah. Big old fat kid. Couldn't make it in football, basketball, baseball. I don't understand that because he's an incredible athlete. And uh, he fought, realistically, one of the scariest fighters at 170 pounds. Jorge Masvidal has been fighting since I started fighting. He is a terrifying individual. And, uh, man, Lorenz Larkin put some combinations together. Some switch stance lead uppercuts to low kicks. Some switch stance, knees, circle off, elbow, hook, low kick. Like, I mean. He he was in another gear. He was just doing, I mean, he was, you know, how many times. Listen, I have seen Jorge Masvidal lose close fights. I've never seen Jorge Masvidal get game dogged. Right. Because he got game dogged. Like, I don't care what he says. He got beat. You got beat. Like, he doesn't need to go discuss with the judges and discuss with people, like, what happened. I think I won that fight. No, you didn't win that fight. You got game dogged. Because Larkin was the aggressor. He was more precise. He did not sit back. He was not trying to wait for a judge decision. He landed multiple shots. He never put himself in danger. He used a pristine... Game plan to beat Masvidal. Yeah, and, and I think that's why Masvidal he keeps losing all of these decisions. Uh, he lost the decision to Alaquint, uh, and, and it's because and I, I was really thinking about that. I'm like, why does he keep losing these close split decisions? All controversial, and 
you know, and it's just this follow through. He'll go through, he'll land, jab, cross, hook, jab, cross, kick. And there's no intent to finish. There's no intent to kill. Larkin, when he throws an uppercut, oh, oh, he reached down to the depths of hell oh, and throws it. And, and throws it. He snapped his head back so... I don't yes. know how he was still conscious after that second round. It... It was it was some of the and wickedest so, punches I've seen. And, in and a there's long a di- time. there's a difference in, in the judge's eyes and a fan's eyes. I want to be wild, and you can hit someone. Oh wow! But oh shit! No, yeah. no, like, that's good. You're, you're yeah. going to score. You're going to score in, in my favor. When Masvidal so. when Masvidal put together combinations, it was impressive. When Lorenz Larkin put together combinations, it was terrifying. Yeah, like it, it, it kind of made you hold your breath. Yeah, don't, I don't want to get hit by. I that. can't tell you how many times I, I paused and rewind. Yeah, Se- oh. several several times in For that sure. fight. And so what was that? What and the thing and the thing is, he's throwing malicious intent. Yeah, Lorenz Larkins was throwing punches with malicious intent. That's the kind of guy like when you see a Vanderlei Silva, when you see an. Uh, Fedor Emelianenko. That's what makes those guys so exciting. There is malicious intent. They're not but throwing. He, he's to, technical too, for sure. That's yeah. the thing. He's technical. They're not throwing punches to make contact. They're throwing punches to knock your teeth down your throat. And that kind of aggressive, malicious style is what fans want to see. And yeah. Lorenz Larkin has it. Yes. Whereas Masvidal was landing punches, but excellent performance. I'd love to see and Larkin, Larkin and Felder. Yeah. Larkin Felder, you know, and, and look, Larkin, he, he was at 85, had some losses, the Philippou, Tavares, Bronson. You know, he actually had a win over Robbie Lawler, I think, in 2012, you know, so you see what kind of caliber of fighter he, he has the potential to be. And, yeah. Hey, made that cut to 170, and uh, ain't no looking back. Yeah, let's, so let's see, uh, make him and Felder happen. I think that's a good fight. Pull. I think that fight is the fight that makes sense. Let's get on Twitter and make um, it happen. You know what, though? I want to talk about... The next fight, wow. This guy, I just talked to his coach the other day, Mark Montoya. He was super happy with his performance. But man, Chris Camozzi just showed up and put Miranda, put a beating on Miranda. Uh, It was also a decision, a lot of decisions in this, but very technical decisions. But Chris Camozzi beat Miranda everywhere. Beat him every round. Um, excellent precision striking, hard punches and kicks, and to be honest with you, man, Kamozi's a big dude for 185. Yeah, really big guy. Yeah. Put together great combinations, great cardio. Beat up uh, Vitor Miranda when it hit the ground. Kamozi was on top, and he beat him up some more. Um, excellent performance by Kamozi. I want to see Chris Kamozi fighting some higher level talent. You know, he seems to be fighting below top 15. Yeah. Every fight, it's almost like um, the UFC brass doesn't or isn't really giving him the respect he deserves. Well, I, I think he's had. I think he's had a lot. He's had a lot of opportunities, man. I think he's about 18 fights in the UFC, and and unfortunately, you know, Chris, he'll put together a win streak and then lose. Then one. he'll go against some top echelon guys, and you know, somehow can't you know he can't get it done. You know, so. You know, some guys are not champions or some guys just need more time to develop, you know. But, hey, but admiration for him, hey, to get kicked out the UFC, to fight in smaller organizations 
work your way back in, come get, back. Kick, get kicked out, and come back. It's just, hey, he's not going anywhere. You know, he's uh, not. Yeah, I mean, and, you know, as a professional athlete, you you gotta sometimes, you know, you gotta know, you gotta know where you gotta know when to shine, and you gotta make those you gotta make those statements at the right time. And if you want to get that next jump, you better, you know, you got to have that statement come up. And when those yeah, opportunities I mean, present themselves and you let them slip, you let it slip through the cracks. Yeah. You're right. You're right. He was on a really good win streak for a while. And then he lost to Jacare uh, by submission. Then he lost to Lorenz Larkin, lost to Larkin, Bruno Santos, Rafael Natal, and then... Some of them and then Jacare again, and you know, that's tough, man. That's really, really difficult. Some of them were split decisions, but five losses is tough. Yeah, but then he came back, beat Tom Watson by decision, knocked out Joe Riggs, and just the decision Vitor Miranda. So they've put it together, and he's back on track. I think he looks great. Excellent performance. Um, he's got to fight a higher level guy, though. Your buddy Joe. Who's that? Your buddy. Joe Riggs. Yeah, yeah. yeah, that's not nice. You guys that don't know, Eric Scallion got dusted off by Joe Riggs. But in any case, yeah. I really think when I watched that fight, you could have beat that guy. I think he was a little bit in your head. I think the I think the Joe Riggs of ten years before was the Joe Riggs you were thinking. I think that he was telling everyone he was going to knock me out. <laughs> and I knew I didn't have a good training camp as far as w- with my striking. So I, I think I knew we had a game plan, but didn't go well. No. No, I think you fought. I mean, you fought well every time. The Gorilla Smasher, Rick Story, comes back after about. Let's let's see when his last fight was. Rick, the, crazy. Rick the horror story. Was Rick, it 180 something days? The said, horror like story. I think it was longer than that, man. To be honest with you, I think it was longer than 180. I remember, days. He, I remember he need uh, Jake Shields, right? It was Jake Shields. It was right after Jake Shields' dad just died, right? In the and like three days later, Story just knocks him out with the knee. Yeah, that was, that was tough. That was, that yeah, that was in New Orleans. Yeah, uh, winner by decision. It says Rick Story controlled the fight for seven minutes. <laughs> Good gracious! Landed 97 of 150 punches for 65 percent. Didn't even get a takedown. Um, you know, this dude is a monster. His last fight was October 4th, 2014, where he beat, in a five-round split decision, Gunnar Nelson. So, think about that. And right before that, he beat Leonardo Mafra, who's a jiu-jitsu guy, by submission. Had a split decision loss to Kevin Gastelum, and before that, beat Brian Embersall. You know, so two years ago, this guy beat Gunnar Nelson by decision. Comes back and beats Tarek Safadine. I remember training with this kid at a Warrior Training Center in Vegas, which is now Syndicate MMA. He was a young guy, and we all knew he was a monster. He was out there with Mike Pierce, another wrestler from, like, the Oregon area. And, uh, man, these guys. He said he's uh, fighting out of Vancouver from Tacoma, Washington. Great performance, kind of a boring fighter if you're not a fight fan. So I don't see his name blowing up, but I tell you what, some people are going to have a tough time beating him. He'll punch and kick and knee and wrestle. That's for, for sure. sure. That's for sure. For sure. Um, huge disappointment in this fight, in my opinion. How? How I just didn't. Man? I don't feel. I think Hinn and Barrows lost it. It's a, it's gone. You think? 
I don't think the Hinnon Burrell that we we know and love, yeah. it's gone, man. That guy's gone. I think Jeremy Stevens did a great job, but the Hinnon Burrell that we saw, who was the champion at 135 a couple years ago, I think I think he's sacrificed too much of himself in hard sparring sessions at Novo Nyao. You know, we know they train no, monsters, monster that hard. You get sacrificed over there. And uh, I think he's lost his edge. You know, I, I don't think he did bad in the fight, but I think the Hinnon Burrell that we know isn't going to be able to maintain I think Jeremy 45. I think Jeremy Stevens knew that, too. Yeah. And well, he, he pushed the pace. Pushed the pace. He shoved yeah. him, you know, kind of got in his head. I, I, I agree with you on that because when um, shit, uh, Dillashaw, right. you know, when Dillashaw finally, con- when Dillashaw connected with him, it was almost like Dillashaw was fighting a different kid. You know, yeah. it, it, he like changed, changed him. Yeah. And I, I think that's the thing with Stevens. And Stevens throws. Steve, Steven comes from the depths of hell Bad too. Oh yeah, oh, yeah. He, you know when he touches you, he's gonna he's gonna. Steven's touch you. landed seventy three out of one hundred and fifty eight strikes for forty six percent. Significant strikes fifty five of one forty for thirty nine percent. He's about ten percent higher in total strikes thrown and in significant strikes. Mm-hmm. Burrell landed two takedowns, but Stevens no, no, got no. straight up. They but didn't now the out. first two rounds, I think they were very close. I think like strike numbers, they were very close. Burrell had the takedown advantage in the first round. You know, if you, I, I don't look at takedowns that way. But anyway, right. and then I, I think Stevens' gas tank was better, and, and he landed I believe better. It was, it, was better a unanimous, it was a unanimous decision, though. Mm-hmm. Oh, it was. Yeah. But I, I, like I said, he he, um, I think his gas tank was better, and he landed the better strikes in the second round, and that. <clears throat> you know that made a huge, huge, huge. And I think that's I one hundred percent disagree that that was fight of the night over Masvidal. Oh no, 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 no. I think that's a that's not true. You know, I, I think that's watching. a good. This this fight was also a very good matchup for Stevens. Now you yeah. put Jeremy Stevens against a technical striker like a Donald Cerrone. Mm-hmm. You saw what he just tore him apart. I think it, the Max Holloway fight him yet. You know what I'd like you to Jeremy see? Stevens, right? I like to see Eric it's Coke, like Eric Coke, and Jeremy Stevens. Yeah, that wouldn't be a bad. I want to say fight. Holloway fought Stephen twenty four. I'm not sure. I look, I, got, I can pull it up right here. Yeah. Um, Jeremy Stevens twenty five and twelve lost to Max Holloway right. by yeah. unanimous decision last Christmas. Right. I think that's what it was. He went yeah. against a technical striker. Like, yeah. A technical alcohol. striker will beat Jeremy Stevens one hundred percent of the time. But he also lost to another technical striker, Charles Oliveira. Yeah. Another technical striker, Cub Swanson, lost to the unanimous decision to him, so you're correct. Yeah. The way to beat Stevens is to stay technical, and Burrell did not do that. It's hard to stay technical, right. though, when he gets in your face. He's cursing, he's cursing at you. And he's hunting for your yeah, soul. Yeah. Well, right. No, I, I, that's what I mean. He connected with Burrell, and that was it. And in the main event, showstopper. Look, this fight was something everybody wanted to see, and it did not disappoint. Um... Cody Garbrandt went out there and knocked out a guy who seemed, at, at, you know, almost superhuman, yeah. you know, untouchable. He was destroying, humiliating people in the UFC. Um, they we, get, he, they get, he got dropped by Pickett. He did come back and win, yeah, but he got dropped by Pickett. It, did drop him. He showed sure. a chink in his armor against. Uh, and I, and I think Garbrandt knew that. Garbrandt knew the guy was tough. The guy was technical. The guy was good, but he didn't have the best chin. Yeah. Against a hard banger, his chin didn't hold up. And Garbrandt showed all of us that that was definitely true. Uh, 
you know, I remember when Thomas Almeida was going to fight Aaron Phillips, and I was watching the videos, and I was like, man, how are we going to beat this guy, you know? Because Aaron is also a very technical strike. Aaron Phillips and Thomas Almeida are very similar, very right. similar fighters, very technical Muay Thai-based fighters. And I watched a lot of tape of Thomas, like, under, like, many of his fights before the UFC. I probably watched 12 of his fights. He's fighting for Legacy and some of those fights. And, uh, man, this kid was just game, gaming out people, like, really humiliating some people. Um, oh, the sunglasses, though, man. There's a little tool bag aspect to him. You know, I mean, I don't aspire to the tool bag style. But he wear, he, for y'all don't know, he wears sunglasses every time he weighs in. I don't know. It's just kind of... He doesn't like to show his eyes, you know? Is that what it is? Yeah, yeah. but I mean, look, look, look at... Uh, look it at uh, Gucci, Gucci shades. Look at... Uh, you know that that kind of douchebaggery is kind of becoming cool now. You know, like uh, what's his name? Conor McGregor is wearing like yoga pants. His jeans are so tight they look like yoga pants. Butt touch. With some little uh, with some little booty shoes, and uh, he just looks ridiculous. He's dressing like the lollipop kids, man. He looks like whack, completely whack. And so people tell me they're like, well, that's the new style. Well, then I'm I'm down to not being style at all because yeah, you trust me. I don't want to represent the lollipop kids. I don't I don't want to look like that. You know I I don't know. But, but you're just waiting for fanny packs and flip flops right. to come that's back. It, dude. So, wait, so so top ten for Garb right now or what? Where, where, where is she? I, I mean, you know, the 135 division is not necessarily. Where I think he probably they probably already are a tap to top ten. Huh? It's not chalk deep right now. Yeah. You know, you got. How, how you we? got you got Dominic Cruz and you got uh, Uriah Faber and you got Dillashaw and Burrell's gone. So after those three, I mean, where 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 else? Who else do you got? Brad Pickett's kind of done, you know. Let's look at the rankings. But I just I don't see because I think Almeida was kind of that guy that well, the was, UFC was well, building no, they, up. Well, they, yeah, they were building Almeida up for sure. And uh, but the thing, the best thing about Gaspar was is that he finished. Yeah, you know what I mean. Garbrandt, yeah, uh, yeah, Cody, he 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 finished the match. I just you know the, what the way he finished the match. <laughs> if I was a matchmaker, I wouldn't have put these two guys together. You know, because if, if you're trying to build two guys, why are you gonna let them cancel each other out? You know, why exactly. not try to build? Two but that's exactly the point, though. This kid got that opportunity to shine, and he took it because in his mind, if I whoop this kid, Thomas. I get this press. I get to yeah. move up. I, I mean, get the. I get the neck. You know what I mean? People right. are going to be talking about. You're and right. I, and, I thought, I thought and you Almeida, you Almeida may, may have may have looked past him as a, a warm up fight, or I'm just going to make. You know, I, I I can't say that. You know, I'm, most fighters don't. But when you have that opportunity to shine, you better shine, especially in this sport because you don't get many of them. Now, you know, I, I think this is important. You know. Uh, Cody Garber and Brian Caraway. Yeah, that's a real fight. It'd be good. It's a real fight, you know. Yeah. We also got Rafael Asencal. You know, we forget about him. John Dotson's fighting at bantamweight now. Uh, John Lineker, Mizagaki, um, Johnny Eduardo. They're still guys. Eddie Wineland. The top fifteen is still dangerous. But when I look at those names and I look at Cody Garbrandt. I wanted, I'm not sure any of those guys are ready to get hit like that. Almeida, Dodson, I mean, Almeida was looking for the fence. You know, he, he was looking for the door. Now, Michael McDonald versus Cody Garbrandt, that might be a great fight. You know, Michael McDonald's an excellent fighter. Um, 
in any case, I think uh, I think it was a great card. I, I had a great time watching it. I think uh, I think the UFC is doing an amazing job. If you don't have Fight Pass right now, uh, you're not paying attention. You're not a fight fan. That's all I want to say. Let's talk about UFC 199. It's going down this weekend. Uh, there's some great fights on Fight Pass. Um, I'm looking forward to Elvis uh, to Kevin Casey Elvis. Mudapik. If you guys don't know, Kevin Casey's a black belt under Hicks and Gracie. Uh, excellent guy. The fight pass prelim is headlined by Sean Strickland and Tom Breeze. If you guys don't know who they are, incredible fighters. But let's talk a little bit about a fight that I'm excited. Cole Miller, American top team, fighting Alex Caceres. Bruce Leroy at 145. That's the that's the fight I'm looking forward to seeing. Too that's a that. serious yeah. fight. Why, why are you y'all really excited about that? I, I like I, I like the way Cole Miller fights. I do too. I like the way Alex fights. I, I I mean these, you know, the both of these kids go after go after their their opponents. They they rarely. I mean Miller's looking for submissions once he hits the ground. He's looking to move. He's looking to advance. He's not using his guard as a as a stall. And the one thing that he does that nev- that that upsets me about uh, ground fighters sometimes or guys on the ground is is when they get into the guard or get into a position and they look up at the ref like, uh, man, get after it. Yeah, Cole Miller would try to finish you. That's what I, that's what I mean. That's Cole Miller I would like try to him. finish. Yeah, he's gonna try to finish you. You know, he gets put up yeah. against the cage. He's battling to get off the cage and take it to the ground. Cole and, Miller's going for it exactly. now. You know, Caceres is coming off the W against Masio Fullen. I never heard of him by decision. Uh, but, man, I see this fight for sure going Cole Miller's way. I don't see Alex Caceres having the wrestling or having the jiu-jitsu. And honestly, I don't see him having a stand-up either to deal with the Cole Miller. But because of his style and because of Cole Miller's style, it's going to be a fun fight to no, watch. it's fun. I'd mean, love to watch the kids. Cole play. Miller was supposed to fight uh, BJ Penn, but so what happened was BJ Penn he failed. It was an out of out of uh, competition uh, testing. It was a what was the company? Uh, USADA. It was a USADA violation. He was using IV. So what happens is fighters they train, they need to put fluid and so they put an IV into their veins to rehydrate. Well, I guess BJ didn't know or didn't care that. You know, I'll, I'll it, go with the latter. What's that? <laughs> I'll go not no, didn't, no, didn't, didn't, didn't care, didn't but care. <laughs> but it was kind of surprising because he was such a spokesperson against you well, know well, well, it's not banned that substances and hey that's a banned form of rehydration. When when you I don't you didn't fight with Yasada uh, you know but well, I mean, I've yeah. had to deal with you know we dealt with him in, in competitive judo right and you get a booklet from Yasada that's a, probably about 30, 40 pages of nonsense right that what you can and can't do and. I mean, a lot of these athletes aren't going to read through all of that, and it happens a lot of times. Like, oh, I didn't know I couldn't take. I think break. I think he knew. I mean, he knew damn well that he wasn't supposed to get an IV. So, so what it is? They test you. Uh, they test your blood for plastics, right? And that's how they they can tell if you're using any type of IV. So it wasn't like there were steroids in his system. He had plastics yeah. in his system. So. Whatever you know, um, let it happen. But it's a shame. And well, the nonsense with the Usada is going to take a couple years for these guys to understand the, what the, the process and the procedures. Yeah, and all same thing happened to. Uh, same thing happened to. Um, what's her name up, up in Shreveport? Yeah, uh, Andrea Lee. Yeah, you know she didn't really. You know people were like, oh, she failed for performance enhance. I mean, no, she didn't. 
You, you talking? Who, who, who is that? Andrea Lee. Andrea KGB Lee. She fights in Invicta. So what happened was it was you know. I don't mean to say this to, you know, I don't mean to put your stuff out there, Andrea, but it's important. Um, it was her time of the month, you know, women have that. And so, you know, you know, like when women, when women are going through that, they retain a lot of water. It's Why is part, blood on the mat? It's part of the, you see, you didn't have to say that. You didn't have to say that. That was a complete violation. But what you retain, you retain a lot of water. And what she's done her whole life is when that happens, she goes to, uh, Walgreens and just gets an over-the-counter water pill diuretic water pill to help her like shed the water not knowing for a moment that that had any she's been doing it a long time I I know that though I know that I know that I know that but she's not competed at the level we've competed at for the time that we've competed at it and as a woman you don't know and when they introduce this new rule set and you're susceptible to it and you haven't been educated on it yeah, I mean, you know, you're going to struggle. The reason you know about it is because in college wrestling and high school wrestling, you know about yeah, all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And you know it's illegal. But she didn't have that. And so a lot of times all these things are on this banned substance list. And, I mean, it's stuff you eat every day. It's probably stuff you can buy at GNC. I mean, it's not like you're taking this cra- these drugs and that's not what it is, guys. People need to understand that just because somebody tests positive for something, it doesn't mean they're in their back office Shooting up Andro, peddling juice. You know that's Listen, not. You can get popped for this. You can get popped for coffee. Yeah. You know you gotta. The, the public needs to understand that when you start hearing that stuff, that's a little bit of what we call sensationalism. They're sensationalizing something minimal. It sounds and, uh, better. The headlines. The headline yeah. sounds better. <laughs> Tested pot, performance enhancing drugs, drug addict, put, crackhead. We put, put water in his veins. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's just crazy, dude. So don't believe the hype. Do a little bit more research. Um, Jerry Conks. Wanted to throw something out there. Jared Cox said, khakis instead of black jeans. Welcome to 2016, Josh Arteague. <laughs> Jerk off. <laughs> Glenn Foley yeah, said, yeah. welcome to the Batcave. Um, yeah, so next up, Jessica Pinne versus Jessica Andrade. I know Eric's um, an right. advocate against women's MMA because he's a sexist douche lord. But man, I'm excited. Rights and opportunity. All of a I'm sudden. excited about this fight. This fight is <laughs> Jessica Andrade is a gorilla monster, and Jessica Pinne is more of a ballerina of death. Uh, she's got great reach, great striking, but Jessica Andrade is a bull in a china shop, and uh, Pinne is gonna have to keep her distance, or she's gonna get beat up. She showed up at the weigh-ins wearing a beautiful dress. It looked like she was there to. Uh, accept an award for most elegantly dressed female it, it, at the Wands. It was just hey, you, you yeah. Do your thing. Find your way to stand She's out. She's bad man. though. No, both. <coughs> we're, we're talking about it. Right? We're no, talking about it. It's not just that, man. I'm, I'm telling you, these women, the, the, the women matches. Are, I love them. With, without a shadow of a doubt, amazing. I love them. I I, I enjoy watching these ladies fight, but just for the simple fact is the same reason I like to watch guys like Cole Miller fight. They fight. Rarely, rarely, rarely do you run into a, a, a women's match where they're just kind of dancing around and throwing three jabs around. It, that, that that don't happen. They go after each other. Yeah, they do. They fight. Uh, I'm super excited about the next couple fights. I mean, there's like six fights in a row I'm excited about, but Binel Darush and James Vick. Whew, gracious. 
Guys that don't know, Binel Darush is a black belt in jiu-jitsu. He trains over at King's MMA with, um, you know, all the dudes at King's. Uh, yeah. One of the most unbelievable camps. Vernel, and he just got game dog by... Um, he got Michael. submitted by Michael Chiesa. Yeah. Rear naked choke. It was a very close fight up until that point. He'd only had one loss up until there. But Chiesa's a monster. And James Vick's coming off a W very recently. Let's look that up. I know James Vick just fought. I think it was in Australia. He just fought. I, I remember it being like... Just fought. And he's a... Great He's got player. a really long reach, 6'3", 155, 76-inch you know reach. Oh, well, 76 inch reach, that's what I have. He fought April 23rd, what was that, less than 30 days ago. No, about no, yeah. 40 days ago. He beat Glyco uh, Franca by unanimous decision. He also, the last time he fought before that was May 9th. So he hadn't fought in almost a year. Came back, beat Glyco Franca, and I think he jumped in last minute to fight Benel Darush. Uh, Benel Darush, 100%, has the advantage on the ground and with wrestling. Yeah, I think so. James Vick's striking is incredible, but what a lot of people don't know is James Vick trains with some of the best ground guys in the world. His coach is Lloyd Irvin. He trains at Lloyd Irvin Martial Arts in Baltimore, Maryland. DJ Jackson, who just submitted Bruno Bastos, a bunch of other dudes. Uh, you know, you could say what you want about Lloyd Irvin. Uh, Eric likes to throw stuff out there. The rooster, he's going to sleep. <laughs> but the truth is, James Vick's on the ground training hard grappling with some of the best grapplers in the world. So he's going to be tough to submit. Lloyd but Irvin's his arms are really cosmic. long. Yeah. So, Lloyd Irvin, if you're listening to this, his name's Eric Scallion. You could come visit. I've defended you. I've defended you. Anyway, I look forward to this fight, man. I think it's a uh, striker versus grappler. James Vick's a people a lot of people don't know, but they will have this fight. Also, on the prelims, last fight of the prelims, main event, Brian Ortega. Versus Clay Guida. Did you guys see the weigh-ins? I no, saw his shirt. It. Holy <laughs> gracious! Can what? you describe the shirt? It was a. He was dressed like El a Chapo. like a stripper in the Bahamas, <laughs> like El Chapo, number one Caucasian henchman. Yeah. It dude. It was Check just ridiculous. White skinny jeans <laughs> with like a white golden flower shit. It looked like... It kind of looked like Abram Sellers. It looked ridiculous, man. But you know what? It looked like Abram. And you know what you got to do, though? You got to respect a guy like that who's going to come out just not caring, using his own style. You guys that don't know, Brian Ortega is a product of the Gracie Academy and Torrance trains with Heron and Henry. Gracie teaches out there. Um, guy's been training a long time. 1-0, 10-0, 1-no contest. He's going to be fighting... Um, a guy I would never want to fight. No. I just hate people's dirty, stanky, sweaty hair on me. Yeah. And that's all Clay Guida does in a fight. He just and he clings and just uh, holds you and sweats and on you. And just and, uh, yeah. So Clay Guida is going to be fighting him. You guys that don't know, Clay Guida travels around the country in an RV begging people to train. Um, Clay Guida, Brian Ortega. I think it's a great fight. I think Clay Guida is going to take him down. And I think Brian Ortega is going to lock him up in something in the first, second, third round. 
I see Brian Ortega by submission because I think Clay Weed is going to put the fight where Brian Ortega is really good on his back in his guard. He's been training with the Gracies for about 20 years. Well, I think what Brian Brian fought a while back. Um, yeah. He pulled really, off a triangle submission, I think, really uh, late late in the round or something really, like that, really if I remember good. correctly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and uh, it was it was really impressive that the, the way it was the one of the way he set it up. If if this is the fight I'm thinking of, his nickname is T City. Yeah, that's City. the kid. That's the kid. He submitted uh, Diego Brandao. Yep. And then he knocked out Thiago Tavares. Oh, that's no mean uh, feat right there. Yeah, I mean, you know, the guy's done had some great fights. His last fight was in January. He fought in June before that, so he fights probably every six months. Yeah. Very healthy. Has a real job. You know, full timer at the Gracie Academy. Looks teaches good. kids. Guy's got a great style. I look for a lot of things. I think this kid's going to do really well in MMA. I think he's got the right camp. I think he's got good guys behind him. I know he's training at a couple other gyms in L.A., Black House and stuff. So he's around the right people. That's going to be a serious main event, I think. I think Brian Ortega Clay Guida is going to shock some people. Because we know Clay Guida is going to bring the fight. There's no, you know. But I think Ortega can match his pace. Uh, technically, I like Ortega. He's, yeah. he, it's uh, really good. The main problem is how do you, how do you train? You know, for a guy like Clay Guida, you know, and he just brings that surprise element and that unorthodox to the table. Hey, and Clay Guida, sometimes he'll run around in circles. He may do that in a fight. He may run around in circles and not engage. Sometimes he you know? does a little of nothing, you're right. Yeah, I mean, oh, man, Clay Guida versus, uh, who was it? Uh, who was the, we lost to Frankie Edgar, what's his face? Gray Maynard. Yeah. It was like yeah, it was like yeah, five yeah. it was like it was all Clay Guidos running around in circles, you know. So playing games. So maybe if Clay thinks, hey, this guy's good off his back, he may do some of that nonsense and we could get a fifteen minute fifteen minutes of hair flopping everywhere, you know. Yeah, First well, fight on the undercard. Oh yeah. Dustin the Diamond Poirier versus Bobby Green. Dustin Poirier nineteen and four. Bobby Green, 23-6. and six. One of the big things about this fight, Bobby Green's last fight in the UFC was November 22nd, 2014, where he lost a decision to Edson Barbosa. Before that, he had rattled off Thompson, numerous victories Kraus, over uh, Matt Ricehouse, Jacob Volkman, James Krause, Pat Healy, Josh Thompson. He won a split decision. Now, a lot of these fights he won by decision. He did knock out James Krause. He did submit Jacob Volkman. But a lot of his fights have been decision. Against James Terry, Matt Ricehouse, um, Josh Thompson was a split. Pat Healy was a unanimous uh, and then he went to another unanimous with Edson Barboza. No, Barboza was killing, killing Bobby Green with leg kicks. And I think Bobby Green kept talking the whole time while he's getting murdered with leg kicks. He you got know. really beat up. Uh, w w was that the cause of his? I think he had he had like a knee injury. He had like two injuries back to back. Yeah, that's major that. injuries. And, and, and that's what, that's what sidelined him. And look, Bobby Green was where Dustin is now. And that, that's what's kind of intriguing about Bobby Green was a guy breaking into the top 10 or he was the top 10. Does Bobby know, Green so. have tattoos all over his skull? Yeah, on his yeah, skull. Okay. I think relatively new. You know, yeah. so you take a year and a half off, Dustin Poirier is basically in the same exact spot that he stop. was. But where's the mind? Bobby Green is one of those guys. He's one of the most talented fighters in the world. Where's yeah. his head at? 
I don't believe in his work ethic. Yeah. You know, burst against. It, they're the same fighter, except Dustin's a fucking workhorse. Workhorse. Bobby Green is it, questionable. In the time that Bobby Green's been out, Dustin has knocked out Diego Ferreira, Yancey Medeiros, and then beat the crap out of and decision Joe Duffy in a fight that a lot of people had going the other way. Oh, a lot of oh. every critic picked Joe Duffy over Dustin. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I think Dustin gets a bad rap, you know, uh, for being an irresponsible fighter, for being a little wild, for not being as technical as he could be, for being a little emotional, for uh, being a little wild. But, man... <laughs> He fixed all that stuff against Diego Ferreira, who's a black belt in jiu-jitsu. Dustin Poirier put, was in his guard and knocked him unconscious. Fought Yancey Medeiros, who recently had a devastating fight where he lost the decision, but he got hit a million times. Yeah. Dustin knocked his childhood memories out of his head in round one. Um, and then Joe Duffy was supposed to be this rising star oh, yeah. who the UFC was going to use to fight Conor McGregor. Conor McGregor's only loss... And Dustin destroyed him. I mean, literally destroyed him. Yeah. Took him down, beat him up, mounted him, destroyed him. Dustin showed a multifaceted game, a devastating work ethic. And this doesn't have, you know, don't get me wrong, me and Dustin are friends uh, and, and, you know, training former training partners. But when you look at the numbers, when you look at the reality of this fight, Bobby Green's got a tough night. Oh, really? I spoke with uh, Dustin personally about this fight, and he doesn't really seem very excited about facing Bobby Green. I think he wanted someone, a, a, bigger, a, bigger, a fight. bigger name, and the UFC kind of threw him out. Hey, well, we got this guy right here. Is it an exciting fight? Absolutely. Is it the fight that Dustin wanted? I, I, I really feel it, and I'm not saying he, he's overconfident. I think Dustin sees it for what it is and say, hey, this guy's not on my level. It's work. W- w- yeah, right. Yeah, and it sure. could be, so it's something that, hey, he's dangerous, but, but 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 Bobby has more to gain out of this. If Bobby Green loses, so what, you know, he, he's just coming back, whatever. If Dustin loses, you know, hey, that could set him back quite well, a bit. You know? well, any fight, any I'm on fight the UFC's man. page up here and it says Dustin Poirier. I'm looking at it. I'm looking down here and at the bottom it says career has trained with and there's a picture of Eve Edwards and myself and it kind of makes me want to cry yeah <laughs> my best buddy <laughs> but you know it, it and again it at, at that one you know you're breaking into a new weight division did he bring some some fame with him from the 145 sure. division he did but at the same time anytime you're moving into a weight division you got to kind of pay your dues again and it it's not to say listen I love to watch Dustin fight Every day, all day, I could. It doesn't matter yeah. to me. But you know, at the same time, you're given these opportunities. Make the most of them. Yeah, yeah. Just gonna let that roll. Just y'all, just ignore that. Just ignore that. That's the fun. Ignore that, Jim. We apologize. So I mean, um, yeah. I mean, so Dustin. I mean, Dustin call, is calling for the knockout, and of course, Dustin. He just. He's not play well with others, too. The only chance... He's not play well not with at all. others. But always the, in people's The grill. only chance <laughs> that Bobby Green has is if this was the best training camp that he's no. ever done. If he grinded hard, 100%, and gave everything, you know? Don't get me wrong. Anything can happen in a fight, but this is going to be a tough fight for Bobby Green. I look forward to it. 
the next fight is a kind of a sad fight for me to watch. I'm a big fan of this guy, and I've uh, H bomb traveled the world with him, hung out many times, trained him many times, and uh, man, you know Dan Henderson versus Hector Lombard makes me nervous. <laughs> Hector Lombard versus I don't, think, I don't think kids should be allowed to watch. Oh my that, goodness! I mean, uh, you guys that don't know, Hector Lombard has a horrible reputation. Um, he has sneak jacked many people in his own gym. He's almost gotten kicked out of American Top Team for just being a, a complete jerk off. Uh, he hurts people. Nobody wants to train with him. He tries to hurt people, and uh, he's a monster, dude. He's a beast. He's a real monster, and. You know, at this time in Dan Henderson's life, how much, how old is Dan Henderson? Is he 100? 46. 40, 40, no. He's my 40, age. 46? He's yeah. my age. Yeah, well, that's old as fuck. Close. Yeah, he's old. my ass. <laughs> he's my age. I love Dan Henderson. I had the privilege of training with Dan Henderson on one occasion. Blow my mind. This guy is amazing with it. Uh, Hector, I'm, a, you know, I'm a big judo fan. I, I watched Hector compete for years. And, and, with and, it? And, uh, you know, I... Listen, Dan Henderson does no wrong in my book. I can't wait to see Dan put some left. I think Hector Lombard's story is funny. You guys, when was the Olympics in Sydney? 2006? 2000? Yeah. Hector Lombard, for those of you that don't know, is Cuban. So he went from Cuba to Australia in either 2000 or 2004 or Mm -hmm. whatever. And uh, he didn't get back on the plane. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, listen, that happens all, all the day, time. every day. Sure. Competed oh. in the and stayed in Australia and eventually found he, a way. So he claims Australia. So where is he? Where is he born? Cuba. He's Cuban. He's, he's on the Cuban he's, judo team. Yeah. So just recently he decides, hey, I'm uh, Australian. No, 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 no. He defected. You don't understand it. He defected. He was Cuban. Cuba sucks, right? right? In Cuba, it sucks. Right. You're under oppressive dictator yeah. communist rule and he didn't want to go back to Cuba so when he was in Australia and he saw the beautiful babies and he saw all the, <laughs> the beer and all the freedom he was like yo I'm not getting back on this get back on this he didn't go back he said I'm not going back um, he got yeah. stayed in Australia went to the embassy the Australian embassy and applied uh, for amnesty and got granted amnesty and got the hey, give me amnesty. Yeah, he well, got that's it. true, man. Yeah, um, one of the coaches out of Dallas, Bert Becerra, uh, was Cuban. And uh, they were in Chicago in the middle of the winter. And they, they would take their clothes from him and lock him in, hotel, in the hotel room. Took his clothes from him, locked him in the hotel room. So they couldn't leave. So they couldn't leave. He climbs out the window in Chicago, middle of winter, starts running down the, running down the road looking for anybody so he can uh, get am- amnesty. That's how bad it is. That's, that's how bad it is in Cuba. That's how bad it is. Huh. Leave your everyone just, I'm out, naked, good, running down the street in Chicago. Sandwich, and good sandwiches, though. You know? Good sandwiches, sandwiches, yeah. Good sandwiches and coffee, right. <laughs> Sugar cane, yeah, good. You said no. Anyway, I really don't think, I think it's going to be, you know, Dan Henderson's got one shot. It's an overhand right. We all know that. Yeah, that's, that Hector Lombard has got uh, a lot of power. A young guy. Very dangerous. It says on my sheet, the fight's at 85, I believe. I think Lombard's having a tough time making 170. So he's going back up to 85 to fight Dan Henderson. I, I, I just... I Dan could care less what weight you are. I know, but I don't see it going uh, Dan's way. You know, and Dan doesn't like to fight at 85 either. He D- does not like to fight at 185. Prefers 205. Yeah, definitely prefers 205. He'll do it, but... Uh, I think this may be another fight of the night possibility. Max Holloway and Ricardo Lamas. 
I'm excited about that. I mean, th- this is one that was kind of in the making for a while. You know, at, at 145, that there was they had the top eight guys, and they were eventually all going to fight each other. And uh, yeah, you know, uh, Max Holloway. Lamas. Max Holloway is ranked number four. Lamas is ranked number five. Yeah. No, Lamas. Max Holloway's 15 and three. Lamas is 15 and four. I mean, this is a grappler versus striker. Yeah, unbelievable fight. You know, I think uh, you know Ricardo. He uh, he lost against Chad Mendez. You know, now that, that was kind of his, his <coughs> opportunity to get the title shot. So I think that sets him back a little bit. I don't believe he's lost since then. Uh, but Holloway, Holloway is just he's been putting it together lately. His striking is is arguably you know the best striker at 145, and that this fight has a lot of implications on you know the winner or loser. Of Edgar versus Aldo, you absolutely. Know, so, so probably maybe the loser, the loser may get the winner of Holloway Lamas, and the winner will probably get something to do with uh, Conor McGregor after, you know, he's got the vendetta for uh, for Nate Diaz, and yeah, this the, the, you know when, when it comes to this division, it's five names: it's Conor McGregor, Jose Aldo, Frankie Edgar, Max Holloway, Ricardo Lamas, and nobody really knows. Chad Mendez, but Chad Mendez, I think, is sixth. The, the truth is, nobody really knows what planet McGregor's dancing on, where his pot of gold is going to lead him, or where he's clicking his heels with his green hat, but he may be fighting Mayweather. He may be, we don't know what's going on with him. I don't think he knows what's going on with him. If he does this Mayweather thing, the UFC may never use him again. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. He's going to get done. I, so, but, but if he does do if it. If you make $50 million, do you need a fight? No, you ever done. again, you're done. Yeah, I'm and done. so it kind of becomes a, is this guy ever really going to fight at 45 in the UFC again? Because his big money fights are not against Frankie Edgar. They're not against Jose Aldo. They're not against Max Holloway. They're not against Ricardo Lamas. We're talking about St. Pierre. We're talking about Nick or Nate Diaz. We're talking about BJ Penn. We're talking about crazy fights now. We're talking about comic book style stuff. Yeah. You it's, know, not, it's not even about. It's not even about who, the weight class or the, the champion. It doesn't yeah. matter anymore. He's fighting for like crazy cash draw fights. So I don't even know if you can put Conor McGregor in the category of this. It really comes down to these two fights, Edgar Aldo. Holloway Lamas is going to determine 45. Like, yeah, so Lamas Edgar would be fun. Aldo Holloway would be fun. The win, yeah, who cares? Who I, don't, I don't like switch, switch swapping that, but you know, I, I think in, in that order, you know, I think yeah. those are the fights people want to see. And the next one, look, Dominic Cruz, Uriah Faber. How many title shots is Uriah Faber going to get? Is he deserving of all these title shots? Well, I think he's well, he's made the UFC a ton of money. He's a great businessman. He's great for the sport. In real life, let me tell you something, dude. He was the face of the WC. Uriah Faber is the nicest, coolest, funniest guy. I've always loved uh, being at fights and hanging out with the alpha male guys. We play tricks on each other and pour our salt on each other's food. And they're always super cool. And the reason they're cool is because their leader's cool and because he's a fun guy, he's a gamer, he's a real fighter. He said something in a Dominic Cruz interview. He said, you know what? You're not durable, and I am durable. And that is true. Dominic Cruz is 
body is not really made for the wear and tear of MMA. And Uriah Faber has fought twice as much as he's fought, and he's fine. Uh, I think, in my opinion, you know, I feel like this fight's going to go the way of Dominic Cruz, but if Uriah Faber wins... I'm gonna I'm gonna jump through the roof of my house. I'm rooting for Uriah. I'm rooting for Uriah. Let me tell you how. I'll tell you how. How, Let, how, how will he, how will he catch Dominic Cruz? He's not gonna catch Dominic Cruz, but what he can do is employ the same strategy that Canelo Alvarez utilized against Amir Khan. He Uriah Faber needs to understand he's not as fast as Dominic Cruz. He's not as precise. His footwork's not as good, and he's not going to be able to land those headshots. He's not going to be able to land those takedowns early on in the fight. It's not going to happen. What he needs to focus on is good clinch work, knees to the body, body shots, beating up his arms, and landing heavy leg kicks. Because if he can break the motor... Right. He has to punch towards the body. He's got to break the the motor. He's got to shut down Dominic Cruz's movements early in the fight. He's got to beat him up. He's going to lose round one, period. But if he can do some damage to those shoulders, to those ribs, and to those legs, and he can slow him down. Because we know Dominic Cruz is very hard to hit in the face. Right. But when it comes to leg kicks... He ain't that great at stopping him. What about uh, you know? You saw what? You know, I rewatched that fight, Dillashaw versus Cruz. You know, not as you know, it, it, that was a split decision and a split decision. You know, I, I thought Cruz won it, but hey, TJ was landing. TJ was landing with the leg kicks. Landed just, leg he kicks. He looked so bad, missing so many shots. And where did those shots miss to? The head. Yeah, right. But the head. They missed to the head, Eric. They missed to the head. Dominic Cruz has great head movement, but he doesn't have great body defense and body movement. Does Uriah he have doesn't have great hey, listen, good body shots? He should bet he better. He better figure it out because it's his only key to victory. The golden key for Uriah is to slow Dominic Cruz down. If Dominic Cruz is on that motor and on that bike in the third round, he's gonna lose. And what we saw was We that- know we know Dominic Cruz ain't finishing him. We know that. Now, we saw what happened. T.J. Dillashaw, what? He was forced to chase down Cruz. And what happened? Cruz, takedown. Caught him. Starts catching him with the takedown. Why? Because you forced him to start moving forward aggressively, recklessly. Uriah Faber has got to move forward. So I would be, be honest with to see you. a lot Let me be honest with you. T.J. Dillashaw is not a mental giant. <laughs> He's not the smartest guy in the box. He does what his coaches tell him to do, and he does a great job at right. that. But when the game changes mid-fight, so he, he couldn't shift gears. He can't shift gears. He can't. It's easy to beat Hinnenbarau with the game plan because Hinnenbarau also is not the sharpest tool in the toolbox, and Hinnenbarau keeps doing the same thing: running forward, eating punches. No matter how bad it goes, he didn't change the game plan, and Dillashaw was able to make him look like a child because he wouldn't change the game plan. But Uriah Faber is a lot smarter, has a lot higher fight IQ than Dillashaw does. Dillashaw is just not naturally mentally gifted. Uriah Faber is. He runs multiple businesses, multiple gyms, trains lots of fighters, is a serious name in the sport on a lot of levels. When Dominic Cruz and TJ Dillashaw have verbal sparring matches, TJ Dillashaw looks like a child. Whereas Uriah Faber, not so much. 
it's a good fight, right? It's a it's comical. They're at the same level. And so when it comes to fight IQ, Uriah's is much higher. He's much more mentally gifted. And if he utilizes that effectively, he can beat Dominic Cruz. But make no mistake, Dominic Cruz has the advantage. And I believe if Dominic Cruz can do what Dominic Cruz does, Uriah Faber's gonna win Uriah Faber's gonna lose the fight. But if Uriah Faber and his coaches, which he's got great ones, if they figure out how to beat up Cruz and shut his wheels down. You got to get physical with him. Got to get physical. Got to be very, grimy. Yeah. Got to punish him. Then the winner is, hey, hey, Cruz versus Mighty Mouse, Demetrius Johnson. That's the super. You, you that's the super You, you got to make that fight. In both Mighty Mouse has to come up. There's no money yeah. at 25. He's decimated the division. Decimated the division. Mighty Mouse, Uriah Faber. Psh, Multi-million dollar, uh, millions. No. Uriah, D Dominic Cruz, Mighty Mouse, multi-million. I mean, yeah. dude. And that's a rematch, too. Everyone yeah. knows the money is in the rematch, for Dominic sure. Dominic Cruz beat Mighty Mouse, correct? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's one of his only losses, I yeah. believe. And so, then the main event, which is a sad display, <laughs> is Michael Bisbing versus Luke Rockhold. Okay. So, uh, Weidman, uh, what, knee injury? Why is he out? Neck injury. Neck injury, right? Or something serious. Major, major neck injury. Very yeah, I think serious. We, yeah, I think his neck went numb or something Can't like that. Feel his arms. Yeah. I want to talk a little bit about Luke Rockhold's fight. Now, he had a tough run. May 18, 2013. He got spinning heel kick to the jaw. TRT by Vitor. By Vitor Belfort. TRT Vitor Belfort. Who positive for, you know. Everything. Yeah, everything. Um... After that, he has rattled off five W's in the UFC. And I want to read how. Constas Philippou, a monster. TKO round one, January 2014. Tim Bosch, silverback gorilla monster. Round one submission, April 2014. Same year. November 7, 2014, Michael Bisbing beat the brakes off of him and submitted him in the second round. I, I just don't remember that fight. Beat, performance of the night. Performance of the night. Yeah. You know why you don't remember it? Because it was humiliating. Next fight, Lyoto Machida, Luke Rockhold, oh, April nice. 2015. Luke Rockhold humiliated him. Submitted yeah. him in the second round, like embarrassed Machida. And then Chris Weidman versus Luke Rockhold. Everyone had the fight going Weidman's way. Rockhold caught that spinning. You know, Weidman made a mistake, tried to do some spinning stuff. Weidman caught, I mean, Rockhold caught that, put him down, passed his guard, mounted him. Weidman, who's an all-American wrestler, black belt in jiu-jitsu, couldn't get out, and got destroyed. We're talking about a fight that should have been stopped. Oh, my goodness. But um... Okay, that's Luke Rockhold's history. Okay, his luck. Last five fights, which in my mind is gotta, a serious, a serious yeah. resume. And you gotta, you gotta admire Bisping. You know, <laughs> just talk about Bisping. Just for a guy, just you know, he's always been. You know, he was the money maker uh, <coughs> for the for the UFC as far as bringing the, uh, the European market. Okay, he had a huge, huge part in that. And I think the UFC fed him for a long time. Let's but. talk about Bisbing's run since April 2014. He got dominated by Bisbing, lost. I mean, dominated by Tim Kennedy, lost that fight. Came back next fight and beat Kung Lee 
in the fourth round by TKO. Kung Lee was about 100 yeah. at that time, 45 years old or some craziness. Then he fought Luke Rockhold, got submitted. April 2015, he fought C.B. Dalloway. Won a unanimous decision against C.B. Dalloway. Then he fought Talez Lietz, July 2015. Split decision. Okay, against Talez Lietz, who hadn't fought in like three or four years. I see where this is going. (laughs) Then he fought Anderson Silva. It was a bullshit fight. He got the decision. Lost. But he really got destroyed. But he caught the decision because Anderson Silva's old and kind of got on his bike a little bit too much. Had Anderson Silva got off that bike an extra minute, he'd have won the fight. He almost killed Bisbing in the end of the third round. And so because he accidentally, in England, beat Anderson Silva on the scorecards that everyone was pissed off about he gets the fight because everyone else is injured at 185 he doesn't deserve the fight and to be honest with you who cares he got it I completely understand Michael Bisping is not qualified to fight Luke Rockhold and on tomorrow night we're gonna see why my friend but good for him you know good for him I'm with you good, good for him good for him he snuck his way in there he's a sneaky filthy slippery guy and he slipped his head in there with his dirty hair grease but you know what but that that's an example of a fighter look he was prepared he was stuck riding. around long he enough. was injury yep. free you're right and what happens a guy 100%. gets hurt you jump 100%. in you know, so we've seen upsets before. you got to be able to game dog when it's time to game dog. And he did. And he snuck in there. And it could be an upset. But let me tell you something. Luke Rockhold is a monster. And I don't believe Michael Bisbing has the skills to deal with his size, his length, his movement. Man, he couldn't deal with Anderson Silva, who's, you know, 40 years old. Luke Rockhold it might kill Anderson Silva. Bisping stays busy, man. You know, yeah. he, if he stays busy and you know nothing dramatic happens, you know, no, he doesn't land, he doesn't get hit with no big shots. Bisping can is very well capable of outpointing anyone, you know, because hey, hey, he, he keeps a high, a fast pace. He keeps a fast Amazing pace, pace and for sure. That's why he's getting these decisions, and it's nothing dramatic, but hey, putting uh, putting fist to face, you know. So hey. UFC 199, go get Fight Pass, watch it online. Please support our sponsors, onit.com. If you got some injuries and you're in the Acadiana area, go see my friend Bill Higginbotham at Higginbotham Cryotherapy. Get yourself hooked up for 25 bucks. Um, and always support Show Your Roll, showyourroll.com. Eric is currently sponsored by Taco Bell, always willing to ruin his life at the Taco Bell drive through if you guys got any questions, please hit us up. We'd love to have you on the show or talk to you guys. Uh, please give us a call anytime yeah, we want or some, hit us up on Facebook. We want some guests, man. Uh, we need some guests. If y'all have some ideas of someone you want to bring Hey, we really show. appreciate everybody getting their Trailer Trash All-Stars t-shirt. A bunch of our friends are sporting them. I saw Clint Bozeman the other day at the Walmart with my wife. Had his White Trash All-Stars yeah, shirt on. Yeah. I was stoked, man. So, hey, we appreciate the support. If you guys got any questions, hit us up and we'll see you soon. <laughs>